One of the things that people said about Jesus over and over is he is amazing. The things that Jesus said as a teacher, the way he said them, they were just amazed at his teaching. We read that many times in the Gospels. And while Jesus said so many things that are amazing, somehow there were a couple of things that were like astonishingly amazing. They were like super amazing. And one particular thing that he said about 30 AD to his disciples, he's been saying to his disciples for the 2000 years since then, and I believe he is really saying to Living Word Community Church today, there are some amazing words. And would you stand together with me? I wanna read a few of these words for you. And uh, the first set of words I'm gonna read are amazing, but the really amazing set are gonna be the second passage. Uh, passages. So here's the first, John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It's pretty amazing there. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, as striking as those words are, here's what's even more amazing. We have to go one chapter earlier to John chapter 14. Very truly, uh, that phrase is pretty important. It's like Jesus is emphasizing, hey, what I'm saying is really true. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Can you believe that? I mean, it's almost ridiculous, preposterous to think that you and I will do greater things than what Jesus did. But Jesus is the one who said it, and he says, why? Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he just comes back to you. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Lord, these are amazing words. We can scarcely believe them, but help us to believe them and help us to see the greater things that you desire to do for your greater glory. And everybody said, and you may be seated. All right, so our, um, our central focus today is gonna be that little phrase, greater things. And there's a number of different ideas I'm gonna try and unpack for you, and I wanna really illustrate those, uh, those ideas because I think that's how we really grab hold of them. And the very first idea for us to grab hold of is that the, the starting point for any greater things that we do is gonna be you and I having belief and faith in Jesus. Whoever believes in me will do greater things. Now, by the way, just a few verses earlier, Jesus had reminded his disciples of who he was. In verse six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A couple verses later, he says, I and the Father are one. Those are pretty extraordinary claims that Jesus is making. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just an evangelist. I'm all those things, but I am more. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am life itself because I am God. I am one with God the Father. That's why when we believe in Jesus, we are able to do greater things because of the one in whom we are believing. And I tell you, at some point, we all have to learn lessons of believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus will do what he says he'll do. Now, man, I remember back as a sophomore in college, I've been a Christian for about a year and a half. And the campus ministry that I was a part of, they were gonna be doing a spring break uh, evangelism trip down to Daytona Beach. And I was real interested because it was Daytona Beach. And I was also interested in evangelism, but Daytona Beach really got my attention in, uh, in the spring break kind of winter in Northwestern PA. So, so the problem is I didn't have any money. We had to have money to go on this particular trip. And I wasn't gonna ask mom and dad because mom and dad still weren't very happy with my Christianity, in part because I told them they were going to hell if they don't accept Jesus. And I, I get that. 
I, I was mellowing out a little bit. I stopped telling them they were going to hell, and I just said, but you're not going to heaven. So I was making some progress there, but I knew they weren't going to fund this trip, and I didn't have money. And one of the guys that was discipling me said, well, listen, just pray and ask Jesus to provide. And I said, okay. And so I started praying that Jesus would provide money for this particular trip. Now, I had been attending another church at that time, just started attending it, didn't really know people very well. I was only there occasionally because I was away in college, but I was there over Christmas and I wound up talking to the pastor and I just mentioned, yeah, I really think Jesus wanted me to go on this trip, but I don't have any money. He said, well, we'll, we'll take a love offering for you. And, and how much do you need? I said, well, I don't want to say it. I didn't say it. He said, that's okay. And so they took a love offering for somebody they barely knew that I could go on a, an evangelistic trip to Daytona Beach and literally I, I got all the money I needed and five more dollars. And that was just an amazing story of the faithfulness of Jesus and, and me learning how to believe and trust in Jesus. Hey, I know there's a bunch of people over in the Life Center right now. And do you know that if you would just stop by the Life Center and look in that room and envision it about half the size it is, that would be the size of a place called Wittenberg Chapel where a man named Martin Luther launched the German Reformation, which launched the Protestant Reformation, which changed all of Christianity from, from that point on. It was just amazing. And it all took place in, in a room half the size of our life center with just a few people there. And, and Martin Luther was one who came to deeply believe in Jesus and he came to reject some of the, the bad teachings that were going on in the established Roman Catholic Church about, about salvation. He just came to deeply believe in Jesus. And, and he so believed in Jesus that when he was confronted and said, please deny what you're teaching, he said, here I stand, I can do nothing else. It's Jesus, it's faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus launched something from this, this small little place called the Wittenberg Chapel that changed the course of Christianity in human history. By the way, this church had like similar beginnings. If again, you could pop over to the Life Center and I just looked at it again this morning. Um, I, I mean, if you went down to like a quarter of the size, a fifth of the size, that is the size of the basement living room of Ed and Nancy Arnold where Living Word started with Pastor Steve Alnquist, our founding pastor, 45 years ago. Like a group of 40 people in just a teeny tiny space. But they gathered together because they believed that Jesus wanted to do something new in the community of York. And here we are today. Do you think they had any idea what their faith was going to wind up resulting in as the decades would go by? And I mean, that's just what happens when you and I believe in Jesus. These things that start out small, by faith and belief and trust in him, he takes that faith and he begins to do wonderful things with it. Which here is the second thing, and I'm really gonna spend a fair amount of my time this morning, is just unpacking doing greater things. Now, in John 15, we, these, this greater things is bearing fruit. He says, you'll bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit, and bear fruit that lasts. And you'll do the work I've been doing and even greater things than this because you believe in me. Now, let me, let me add one more idea in here, and then we'll, we'll unpack this a bit. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which uh, a man took and planted in his field, and though it's a small soil of seeds. Now, by the way, we know botanically that there are smaller seeds in the world than that, but at that time, in that location geographically, that was the smallest seed that they knew about, and that's why Jesus said, Hey, this is the smallest seed we've got. But yet when you plant it, it just becomes amazing, the largest plant that there is in the garden. That's the nature of how God works. So the missional purposes of Jesus are always to, to bless, to love, to heal, to transform, to redeem, to save, and to restore back 
to himself this broken world. That's just what Jesus is all about. And, and it starts out as like little mustard seeds, nothing big, nothing splashy, but little mustard seeds that Jesus knows in the kingdom of God are gonna grow and become just something beautiful, the greater things, much fruit that lasts. I mean, Christianity itself is a story of mustard seeds becoming greater things. And at 100 AD, best estimates are there were about 10,000 followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire, about 10,000. Now you go 100 years later to, to, uh, to the year 200, and now there are, uh, there are about um, 200,000 followers of Jesus. I mean, that's some pretty striking growth. But you go 50 years later, and now we're up to 1 million people, and you go 50 more years to 300 AD, and now 10% of the entire Roman Empire is following Jesus, more than 6 million people. Little mustard seed communities, churches scattered around. They're not impressive, they're not big, they're not mighty, but they're mustard seeds of the kingdom. And God brings greater things out of mustard seeds. Well, you know, the same is kind of true in modern missions. Now, in 1800, 99% of all Christians in the world, we live north of the equator. And of that vast region south of the equator, Africa, Asia, um, uh, South America, only 1% of all Christians live south of the equator. And then began an amazing amazing century of missions. And so therefore, by 1900, now 10% of the total Christians in the world, they were living south of the equator. And another whole century of a marvelous mission began and, and the church south of the equator began to grow so that today in 2023, two thirds, 65% of all Christians live south of the equator. And the church is growing so rapidly there that all projections are about 2050, 80% of all Christians in the world will be south of the equator. I mean, just little mustard seeds that were planted south of the equator have grown into this amazing greater things and much fruit that lasts, and it shows no sign of stopping. Oh, we have, I've told you this before, but I, I want to tell it again, the, the China, you know, the church struggled there, you know, it was, it was small, it was weak, they couldn't make headway. And then the communist revolution happened in 48, 49, and the bamboo curtain came down, and we know this, that the, the communist government, they... They destroyed church buildings. They, they burned Bibles and Christian literature. They imprisoned, exiled, or executed church leaders. And everybody in the West said, oh, woe is the church. The church is coming to an end. The church is going to be eradicated by this, this persecution. And yet, here, here's what we forgot. But, but there were seeds planted all throughout China. And, and apart from any help from the West, during all those painful years, the church continued to grow and grow. And so therefore, when observers were eventually able to get back in in the 90s and after, they started the church far from disappearing, had, had grown like it had never grown. And so today, conservative estimates, one, uh, 100 million to maybe 130 million followers of Jesus in China. And here's what's fascinating. They're becoming one of the most missional forces on planet Earth. They are sending missionaries out everywhere. Uh, it's just amazing. Little seeds. That, that by God's power in the kingdom become greater things, much fruit that lasts. You know, we've been talking a little bit about, about Islam and you know, Living Word's been very committed to, to Islam and reaching Muslims and loving Muslims into the kingdom. And Iran is one of the most closed and hostile countries in the world. And in 2020, a secular Dutch organization went into Holland, uh, went into Iran, and they were not just interested in finding about 
about how many Christians were there. They were just interested in finding out what's the religious landscape in, in Iran. So they had these very sophisticated ways that they got data about all the different religions. And they found that this was in 2020, there were at least 750,000 followers of Jesus in Iran and maybe as many as a million working in the underground church. I mean, in one of the most hostile environments you could envision, mustard seeds are becoming the greater things of God. Isn't that exciting? And let me come back to the living word for a moment. That little group of people that started in the basement of Ed and Nancy Arnold 45 years ago, do you know what their total church budget was the first year of existence? The total church budget? <laughs> $26,000. That included Pastor Steve's salary. $26,000 was the total amount of money that they had. Do you know how much money we gave last year just to the Christmas Eve offering? We gave 20 times that amount. $485,000 last year for one offering to go globally, sowing seeds everywhere. Would they have ever imagined something like that, that would be happening when they began to sow their seeds of faith? No, they had no idea. But that's how God's kingdom works. These mustard seeds of faith that we have turn to greater things. Let me just keep on unpacking this a little bit about these, about these mustard seeds that we are, are being invited to sow. Do you know, most of life, your life, my life, just sowing seeds, throwing out blessings, overflowing, imprinting, trying to influence. And we, we don't know what, what happens with most of that. We just keep on sowing seeds. Now, here's what, you will sow seeds, you will have an imprint, you will overflow. The only question is, well, what kind of seeds are you going to sow and what kind of imprint are you going to have with others? And the Lord knows there are so many folks out there that they're just sowing bad seeds and having an ugly overflow. I mean, our culture is filled with people who are just regurgitating junk inside them over us. And the church exists, the people of Jesus exist, you and I, to like sow good seeds of love, of grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope, encouragement, just a little bit of time and attention and a listening ear and maybe an open door and possibilities. I mean, that's why we are here, just to sow as many seeds of way, truth, and life that we can. Oh, and by the way, you'll never get credit for most of the seeds you sow. You just won't. There was um, a very well-known saying, uh, Harry Truman said it often, you can accomplish almost anything if you don't care who gets the credit. Isn't that great? If you don't care about the credit and you just, and you don't care, you can do almost anything. Here's what's really ironic about that saying. Harry Truman doesn't get the credit for coming up with it. He didn't come up with it. He just used it. In fact, if you go Google that particular saying, you're going to find all kinds of people are attributed to saying it. Well, by the way, they have said it, but they just didn't originate it. Do you know what? We don't know where it came from. Isn't that delightful? There's nobody to give the credit for that saying. <laughs> I love it. There's a woman who wrote a, a book called Middlemarch, and um, she wrote it with the name George Eliot. Uh, her, her name was, was Mary Ann Evans. And in that time, like you know, many other women authors, uh, women authors did not have a lot of credibility, and so they actually wrote under a male pen name, so they would have a wider, uh, a wider audience to read. And that's exactly what Marianne did. 
But here's one of the things that she said in her book, Middle March. Middle March. And it's a little bit poetic, so let me, let me read it and, and play around with it a little bit. That things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been. Let me stop there for a moment. In other words, you know, so much of the time we say, well, why aren't things better? I mean, I, life should be better than what it is for me. She says, that's not the real question. The real question is, why do you have it as good as you do? Why has life worked out so well for you? Why are things not so much worse in your life? And she says, well, it's half owing, 50% owing to the number of people who faithfully lived a hidden life and they rest in unvisited tombs. Why is, why is your life so good right now? Because there's all kinds of people who in these hidden, quiet, consistent ways, they just sowed seeds and they sowed seeds. And they didn't care about the credit. They just, they just wanted to bless and love and do whatever they could for you. And these hidden lives, a blessing. And we don't, we don't visit their tombs. We hardly remember. We don't even know. Uh, you know teachers, isn't, isn't your very calling to sow seeds that you'll probably never get credit for <laughs> while you are taking a lot of grief? I mean, that's what teachers, they just sow seeds and just keep on sowing seeds. And you, you never know what, what most of is going to happen because of, of what you have taught your students. And you get the new class and you start all over again. Parents, I mean, just, it's all about sowing seeds. Now, parents, I know, wouldn't it be wonderful if at least once in your lifetime, your child came and said, Mom, Dad, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this house that I live in that I did not pay for and I don't pay rent in. Thank you. Thank you for all this food I eat that I don't pay for. Thank you for these clothes that I wear that I don't pay for. Thank you for this incredible smartphone that annoys the heck out of you that I did not pay for. We just thank you, mom and dad. Thank you. But listen, moms and dads, that's not why you sow seeds in your kids, is it? I mean, you, 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 don't, you hope, but you don't, you don't expect that, that you're going to keep on sowing more seeds if they're grateful or not. You just keep on sowing seeds in Psalm 90. The, the, the psalm, by the way, that I use probably most often when I'm doing a celebration of life service. I love this. I love Psalm 90. It's all about life. It's all about how hard life can be, but the prayers we need to get through life. And the last prayer in Psalm 90 is, is the psalmist saying, hey, like, I'm not going to see the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live long enough to see most of what matters. All I can do right now is sow seeds, just do good stuff for, for my family and the generations to come. And God, by your grace, would you establish the, the, the legacy? Would you, just, would you establish your work? Would you, God, would, would you just make sure it keeps on happening? All I'm going to do is sow seeds. I'm going to trust you for the results. That's very nature of parenting, sowing seeds and hoping that maybe someday some greater things will emerge in the lives of the kids that you love. And by the way, all of us, isn't that, isn't that what life is all about? Just you and I, um, random acts of kindness, generosity, love uh, over and over. And, and by the way, it's not just you as an individual, although you as an individual, when you sow seeds, you know, there will be greater things to come just from you, the individual. But really, it, it happens even more so when we come together. You know that old acronym? It seems kind of silly, but it's really profound. Team, T-E-A-M, together, 
everyone accomplishes more. Together, everyone accomplishes greater things. Together, everyone accomplishes much fruit that will last. That's what goes on at Living Word every single day. It's not that there are a few amazing, awesome people who are doing all the work while the rest of us just cheer them on. It is that we all come together and together we are able to accomplish more things, sow more seeds together that will have more fruit than any of us could have ever imagined alone. I mean, it's one of the reasons why our Christmas Eve offerings are such a joy. It's not one or two people making it happen. It's like we all come together. Hey, we just want to sow as many seeds as we could, get the blessing out to as many local partners and global partners. Let's just sow seeds together as a congregation. And when we do amazing things happen, and kid life happens because there's a whole lot of people that just want to sow seeds in the lives of the next generation. And I could go, but that, that's why, that's why and how greater things happen is together we wind up doing the work of the Lord and greater things take place. Okay, I could talk even more about these greater things, but let me just move on. Let me move on to, to number three, third point, and that is the power of greater things. And, and this one's a little bit odd. Uh, it's going to be through the Holy Spirit, but Jesus doesn't mention the Holy Spirit here. Jesus just says in this particular passage, well, you're going to do greater things because I'm going to the Father. Now, you can imagine the disciples thinking, well, Jesus, that seems like exactly opposite. If you hung her out here with us, we sure could understand we're going to do greater things because you're right here. But Jesus, you're leaving us. How in the world are we going to do greater things without you? Well, we read a couple of verses later as Jesus is going through in, in John, all through John chapter 14 and get to John 15. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus saying, listen, disciples, I've got to go back to the Father so the Father and I can send the Spirit, and my Spirit is going to come upon all of you, and so therefore you're going to have my life, my truth, my way, my grace, my presence inside of you. That's why you'll be able to do greater things wherever you go, because I am with you. And then, of course, we know the very famous passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know, wait until you have received the Spirit, wait until you've been clothed with power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. Then let's go a little further to Judea, and then let's go out, cross some geographical boundaries to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Have you guys heard of, um, of David Walkerson and Teen Challenge? Uh, an old movie, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade, Nicky Cruz, a story of him and, and, uh, and others. All right, so here David Walkerson was kind of a young Pennsylvania boy, preacher boy, small town, rural upbringing. That's, that's, that was his background. And he was reading an issue of Life Magazine. And in Life Magazine, there was a story about the New York City gangs, and the violence and the drugs. And as he's looking at the pictures and reading this, uh, David Wilkerson hears the Holy Spirit saying, David, go to New York City and start working among the gangs. Man, I tell you what, for a rural Pennsylvania boy, that was like going to the ends of the earth. But he did. And he actually shows up at the trial where some of these kids are, are being tried. And, and he starts to just move into their, 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 their street gang existence. And eventually Teen Challenges form and all kinds of other ministries as they're, they're just sowing seeds in the lives of gang members and, and um, in the midst of violence and drugs and other really h horrible things and inviting people out of that lifestyle and into another better way. They just sowed seed after seed after seed. 
you know, one of the seeds that David Wilkerson's son, Living Word, actually winds up benefiting because there's a guy named Eric Veach, who was one of the seeds that, that David Wilkerson sowed into, and Eric wound up becoming, you know, a pastor and a preacher, and he's been one of our elders for years, and we are so blessed by him. And Audrey was another person that they sowed seeds into her life, and so Eric and Audrey were, were, were recipients of, of seeds being sown by the power of the Spirit, and they had no idea what would happen to Eric and Audrey. Oh, and by the way, if you've heard of New Life for Girls, that's right here in our county. That was also started by graduates from, from the whole Teen Challenge. And, and again, people just sow seeds and let the Spirit do what it will. That's what happens when you and I are filled with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, and just trusting the Spirit of God to, to do greater things. He does. I go to the Father, I'm going to send you the Spirit, and you're going to do greater things. And then he says, and you will do all these greater things in my name. You're going to pray in, in my name. Now, by the way, this verse is one of the most misused verses that, that there is. John chapter 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And because that just seems so outlandish, Jesus actually says this again, yep, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, here's how that verse gets misused. I've literally, I've heard... TV preachers, I've heard one guy say, hey, if you want that $10,000 watch, you ask for it in the name of Jesus, and he has to give it to you. Listen, what a pathetic interpretation of what that verse is all about. In this whole context, Jesus is talking about his missional activities going on in the world. He's talking about his will, his purpose, his way, his generosity to change the world, to restore it back to God. And what he's doing when, he, when he's talking about in my name, what he is saying is I am going to authorize you to, to be my representative, to be my instrument, to be my vehicle, to do my work in the world. And when you are doing my work, my will, my way in the world, I will, I will just do whatever you need me to do. You can count on it. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus, is we, we go and, and we are his ambassadors and representatives just doing his, his work. God, God, your kingdom come. Jesus, your kingdom come in my life, through my life in the world right here. You know, we've all heard of Mother Teresa. You know, 19 years old and she knows Jesus is telling her to go to India. She goes to India. I mean, she, she had no abilities. She had, she had nothing to her credit other than she was available and she was faithful. At age 36, she heard Jesus say, stop working with what you're doing and now start concentrating on the poor. She had no ability to do that. She had no competency. She had no resume. But she had availability and faithfulness to be the representative of Jesus to the poorest of the poor. And today, through those mustard seeds of early beginnings, when one beggar at a time dying on the streets where she would love with the love of Jesus, the world remembers Mother Teresa as one of the greatest people of the 20th century. Greater things. Because she went in the name of Jesus. By the way, staying with India for a moment, if you would have been able to go back to the year 1901, there's a, a Protestant missionary named Amy Carmichael who's like the Protestant version of Mother Teresa only about 50 years earlier. And here's Amy Carmichael in very, very bad health, and she just felt Jesus wanted her to go and do missions work. And she wound up going to South India, where Living Word used to do a whole lot of work. And there, this again, woman without a lot of skills or competencies, but a lot of faith and a lot of trust in the name of Jesus, began to challenge the very social systems and structures of South India at that time that were so harsh and abusive to women. And she literally saved thousands and thousands of women and gave them a chance for a better future. And she is considered one of the great missionaries of her time. 
just little mustard seeds of faithfulness as the representative ambassador of Jesus, even if she's standing against the social systems of the world in the name of Jesus. By the way, those stories and others, uh, there's a great book, Daughters of the Church, written by Ruth Tucker. Man, this is just stories of all, all kinds of people who, all kinds of women who, yeah, they didn't have credentials. They didn't have status. They didn't have a reputation. They just had faith and availability. And God took them by the power of the Spirit and in His name, and they planted churches, and they started Bible colleges, and they trained leaders, and they preached, and they taught, and they were apostolic and did amazing things in the name of Jesus. And that leads to the final point. Always for the glory of God. Just over and over, uh, you're going to see Jesus always talking about it's for the glory of God. Uh, bear much fruit to glorify my Father. Uh, he, Jesus says, I've actually finished all the work that I was to do uh, to glorify God. And uh, I recently called up with a guy named Jay Engler. Jay's, Jay's one of the great servants here at Living Word. Do you know that in, in 2009, we're going to tell a story. I'm along in a video pretty soon. But uh, in 2009, Jay was getting ready to go to Thanksgiving, looking out the window, getting ready to go to his parents for Thanksgiving. And, uh, and he heard a voice say to him, so what are you doing to help people who don't have any Thanksgiving? What, what are you doing to help them? And Jay said, I'm not, not doing anything, but next year I will. And in 2010, Jay and a group of others started the Thanksgiving Day Ministry. They've been doing it ever since. First year, they had 37 people. This year, they'll have that many ministry partners serving a whole lot more people. And you know what? Jay's one of the most humble guys you'll ever see. Jay doesn't ever take credit for anything. Jay just does this for the love of people and the honor and glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, that's, uh, man, that's why we're here, to love people and to glorify you and all that you want. Man, thanks that for, for 45 years, um, seeds have been sown in this church, in this community, and wow, have they ever borne a lot of fruit. And we've seen greater things happen before our eyes. And Lord, no credit to us, never any credit to us. To you be the glory forever and ever. And thank you that we know that in the season ahead, there are even more seeds that are going to be sown and more greater things are going to emerge and more fruit. And we are so excited about that. For right now, Lord, we just want to glorify you. We want to worship you. We want to draw close to you. So fill this place with your praise, the one who makes greater things possible. Amen.